This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 23rd of August, 2023. Markets, uh, you know, rallying again yesterday, at least ahead of the open in the U.S. And then we get a sell-off. I think a, a lot of this market activity and those speculative clusters we've talked about in NVIDIA ahead of those earnings today after the close. We've seen some wild volatility in that stock, Peter. I just noted uh, the Monday low was 416 and the high yesterday was above 481. The implied volatility for the uh, Friday weekly expiry options has uh, ratcheted up to 127% uh, for the Friday expiry option. So it's just crazy business. Yesterday, that stock touched basically the highs, I think, or ish the highs of the uh, old record highs and came back in quite a bit. It feels like to me it's it's not about anything rational. It's about speculation. And later on, you've got some, some thoughts on NVIDIA's uh, results coming up here. But uh, anything else you're seeing in this market besides some, some, pretty, uh, some pretty wild uh, swings here? Yeah, but two things. So it was it was a session with very little rotation in the equity market. So cyclical and defensive sectors were almost uh, you know flat against each other on a relative basis. So um, that was very different from the Monday session where we had a very big jump in the cyclical sectors. Um, also, if you look at the theme baskets overview, and we, we haven't talked about that for quite a bit here on the uh, on the podcast, and um, that's a slide two in today's slide. Day. I, I find it very interesting. Or maybe you have a comment on this, but the nuclear power theme basket is the only one that is up months to date and has actually been performing quite good uh, lately and um, that's a a very stark contrast to what we see in our energy storage which is predominantly fuel cells and hydrogen and battery related companies and our green transformation which is electric vehicles and other uh, users of uh, and, and you know other types of green transformation companies, and then also renewable energy, which has been extremely horrible and dominated of uh, solar and, and wind companies. I'm, I'm just, it's just interesting to see that divergence inside the energy, um, the energy complex that you you have these these bits for for nuclear. Is it driven by higher uranium prices or or? Well, I think the 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 theme is is gathering momentum. Uh, has been gathering momentum for a while now, but also the I think the, the some some concerns about supply. Uh, because uh, looking at where the Western world uh, gets uh, supplies from, quite a substantial chunk of that comes from from uh, from Russia. So um, that's one focal point. So uh, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm I'm just watching a company like uh, Cameco in uh, Canada, which uh, which is uh, has, has uh, which is basically one of the big benchmark companies, and it's it's approaching uh, 50 Canadian dollars. It was trading uh, what. Ten dollar below ten dollars back in twenty twenty, so it's been wow. a really wild ride. It's uh, it's been on. All right, and we saw also uh, S and P downgrading uh, a number of regional banks yesterday. That KRE regional bank index down uh, around three percent yesterday. So there's a bit of a sour note, uh, especially in relative terms to what the market is doing the last few days. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just want to uh, highlight because we in our internal discussions, um, one of our team members brought up that uh, you know this banking crisis in the U.S. is still sort of bubbling or looking or whatever you want to call it, and <clears throat> I, I think. I don't think it's a banking crisis that is still there. I think the reason for the downgrade and the problem for U.S. banks is not that because as time has progressed, the the the, re, the unrealized losses on these bond portfolios are slowly evaporating. So it, it's it's less and less acute liquidity problem potentially for these banks. I think the so-called banking crisis. I wouldn't call it a banking crisis. It's more a crisis around profitability because what mm. have what have happened funding for these costs. yeah, it's funding costs, funding yeah. costs, and that was also what both Jamie Dimon and the CEO of Bank of America, Money, and said. 
you know, it's the cost of funding that have gone up. So you, you have a squeeze on the profitability. That is not per se a crisis. It's just that they are less profitable. It's not like they're going bankrupt per se. Yeah. And, and on that note, not really on that note, but uh, these funding costs, they're not really set to go much lower if you look at how the market is pricing the forward curve. So I've got some thoughts on that. Skip ahead. Go ahead and skip ahead to slide four. You can see I put up the uh, December 2024 SOFR. So this is the contract that uh, dictates how the market sees uh, the short rate, uh, the short U.S. yields out into the future. Uh, so the late 2024, that's incorporating a few rate cuts, not not a huge amount. Uh, you know, that's still well above 4%. A policy rate there, but the longer term rate uh, around mid 2026 is about as low as the market is willing to go uh, out the curve. And if you look at the longer run projections from the Fed uh, since 2019, these have been at 2.5%. And that sort of forward projection has been only there a few times when rates were at their lowest. So if you see back uh, post the March banking turmoil, the the well, the peak in the SOFR, which is the, the trough in rates, uh, never even got to that two and a half percent level. So Theoretically, uh, there was speculation this Nick Timmerhouse article of the weekend talking about the Fed uh, projecting a, a higher, potentially lifting that higher, longer run uh, forecast or projection on the dot plot at the September meeting. I don't think he specifically said anything about the September meeting, but the, the notion that the Fed is set to raise that longer term projection, uh, well, the market's already got it priced in, so it wouldn't be much of a net surprise. I think the bigger surprise could come when this Jackson Hole speech on Friday from Fed Chair Powell is around some kind of hint around that they understand the fiscal dynamics of, of the Treasury issuance and these huge deficits and what that will mean uh, going forward for longer-term rates and the risk of uh, you know the negative implications of so-called fiscal dominance, where that's the sort of the, the, you know, the U.S. government's funding needs that become dominant and dictate a lot of what's going on, and that the Fed can do an inflation tax, so-called, by... Uh, stopping paying interest on reserves and talk about a profitability issue, Peter. If uh, if uh, banks are not getting interest on on the reserves, it means they can't pass those on to, to depositors. So both essentially the depositor gets nothing for having bank uh, money sitting at the bank, and it would help though those depositors to run out and maybe buy the bonds themselves. So it could actually help increase demand, but it certainly it hurts bank profitability. So the, these are really big issues. That could come into view. I doubt if uh, Powell is, is has on the agenda on Friday to come out and discuss uh, one more hike for this cycle. In other words, the short term. It's it's really a bigger, longer term uh, topic, and we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, tomorrow as well. The speech is on Friday at fourteen oh five GMT, if memory serves. Uh, specifically to yesterday's session, though, the the short yields in the U.S. came up to new cycle highs for the the local part of the cycle here, above five percent, even though the longer end uh, dipped lower. We saw euro wilting on on that, and as uh, risk sentiment turned back around, as you can see on slide three, euro dollar uh, getting close to those sort of range lows and pivot lows from back in uh, late June, and the 200-day moving average creeping into the picture. We haven't traded below the 200-day moving average in euro dollar, currently around 108 since uh, I think it was the end of November last year. So uh, the euro wilting here, we've got the first uh, the flash PMIs coming out of the eurozone today. Those get the most attention among these these uh, uh, sort of flash PMIs, I would say, globally, which are all basically all coming out today. France, Germany, and Eurozone reporting those uh, today. So we'll see how the market reacts to that. Sterling a bit later, or sorry, UK a bit later, and Sterling has managed to match the US dollar's strength, uh, again, with more rate tightening priced in for, or policy tightening and rate hikes priced in for the Bank of England uh, in the coming several months. All right, uh, I'll hand it over to you, Ole, because we've been talking a lot about uh, China, 
the status of their stimulus and indications that they are simply not about doing the type of stimulus they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. This is prevented, even though we've had this remarkable supply picture for copper, I guess that's the chief thing that has really prevented copper from uh, from spreading its wings and, and doing something more interesting to the upside. Indeed, and uh, and the, the, the result of the, the weakness in China has recently has been that renewed sell-off that we uh, we saw uh, back in, uh, well, mostly last month. And, and what is really uh, achieved is uh, a, a quite a big, ag- aggressive amount of selling within just a short period of time. Uh, I looked at the WeWop, the, value, the volume-weighted average price yesterday for the last uh, two reporting weeks from the uh, cut report, uh, where we saw the biggest amount of selling since the panic, uh, pandemic panic in February 2020. And the WeWop of all that selling is around 383.50. And that's why I put that in as, as, a, as a key level to watch, because if we start to break above that, then quite a few positions will start to uh, get underwater and we could uh, potentially see some additional recovery. Uh, the recovery we've seen the last few days, I think, is, is, is First and foremost, the fact that the the, the remimbi has stopped falling. Uh, we we know it's primarily due to intervention, uh, so maybe it may not be short-lived, but at least the stabilization of the remimbi has has supported a bounce. We're seeing demand in in China hold up uh, remarkably well, and uh, part of that, as we mentioned in the note last week, is is the green transformation, which is also gathering pace in China. So it's not all just going into pipes and uh, and electrical wiring in houses. So that's worth keeping an eye on, and then. Um, and then on, 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 on top of that, as we continue to highlight, inventory levels at the exchanges, um, well, monitored by exchanges in, in New York, London, and China, just sits just above a 15-year low. So inventories has not picked up, even though we allegedly have had a, a weakness, uh, a period of softness in economic activity. So, so yeah, we maintain our bullish outlook for, for copper. Obviously, some patience is probably required, but uh, I think the performance recently highlights that there is an underlying uh, demand in that market. And, 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 and that actually goes back to that comment we, we highlighted on the podcast yesterday from the CEO of BH, uh, BHP Group, where he said that there are there are quite some drivers that are creating stability in commodity markets in the industrial metals, and he mentioned specifically both India and China are both sources of stability right now in the commodity markets. So the demand picture is still firm. Yeah, judging from his comments, yeah, can't get much excitement from that chart. But let's uh, let's see what happens there. <laughs> Crude oil it did have a pretty exciting run uh, from the late June lows there but i guess that the you know the steam has obviously come out for the short term but it's still sitting atop a pretty big move there uh even if we've come back uh, quite a bit from the actual peak there uh earlier this month yeah absolutely and uh, we'll we'll stay in this area uh probably in the 80s uh while saudi arabia keep uh keep their production tight uh the one one million barrel production cut starting started in in uh, early january has basically been the uh, the timing of uh, when the rally kicked off and uh, right now it's just uh some some of the steam has come out of the rally. We are we're not really we're seeing some of the tightness that has uh, recently been supporting the market starting to ease. I just put in the prompt spread, which is the first versus the second month's future spread in uh, Brent and WTI, and as you can see, it's it's coming down quite a bit. So uh, that that's indicating some easing uh, easing tightness uh, tight situation in in the market. But uh, I think it, in the short term, if we do correct even further, then that 81, uh, 82 area of, of below in, in Brent, I don't think we should look for any more at that point. For that to uh, for for a deeper correction, we need to see barrels start to come back 
back into the market from Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure they're gonna probably gonna sit on those barrels for perhaps the remainder of the year. So, um, so that will underpin prices, but but the the upside at the same time, I would say, is is limited. So look for the 80s here in in the in the over the coming months. And I just put in the table showing the inventory expectations for today's EIA report. Yesterday, the API reported a 2.4 million barrel drop. That's more or less in line with what surveys are, are looking at. So, um, so, uh, but as per usual, it's a report that just throws a lot of data out, and it's very interesting. Just anything from export levels and production and refinery activity. So, uh, plenty of uh, data to chew into when that is released this afternoon. Okay, okay. Now let's uh, get to the, you know, the big focus for today, which is that Nvidia earnings report after hours. And you've got, brought in some great illustrations here, Peter. You're asking who the heck is buying all of these uh, Nvidia GPUs that are supposed to be sold at an accelerating rate in coming uh, quarters. So take us through what we're looking at there on slide seven. Yeah. So it, the exercise I've done here actually came about because I was uh, interested in the Baidu um, earnings release that came out yesterday. That was, by the way, better than expected. Uh, pick up in their advertising business, etc. We we already knew that from Tencent, and that was not really a big surprise. But investors uh, were, were were happy about it. But I, I <clears throat> there was this Reuters article. Uh, I linked it to it in in some of my recent notes uh, because I think it really confirmed what I've been saying uh, even a month before this Reuters article that the 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 Chinese are p- uh, playing catch up here. It's really and uh, being emphasized and incentivized by the Chinese government. So the the big technology companies there are really doing whatever they can to get their hands on on NVIDIA GPUs before potentially the window could close. And by the way, before I go really deep here on NVIDIA, please note that the uh, the leading U.S. Semiconductors Association has warned uh, policymakers and the government in Washington, and the U.S. government, that Huawei, which is on the export control list since 2019, is apparently building a big secret network of manufacturing uh, facilities to produce uh, semiconductors in China, and that apparently they have got up to around what is thirty billion dollars of loan from the local government in uh, in Shenzhen. So th- these are of course uh, stories that are developing. Um, but so so China have been highlighted. And I said, okay, let's look at the capex numbers because if you're a technology company, if you're buying a lot of GPUs, and even if it's a subsidiary which you control, when you when you consolidate your figures, it will show up in the capital expenditures account because if it doesn't. It means that you are not depreciating your asset over time and you're just fully expensing it. But if you have a bonanza in GPUs, why the hell would you expense it directly one for one and not depreciate it? That would cause a pretty significant headwind for your bottom line. So no CEO, no management would do that. So it will it will show up in the CapEx account. So I looked at Baidu, I looked at Tencent, and I thought it was weird because you're seeing a little bit of a jump there in, in Baidu, but the numbers are so small relative to what we expect from NVIDIA, and there was no pickup from Tencent. And then I looked at all the big U.S. customers. So the, the big customers on the CapEx side, obviously being Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Meta. If you look at the customer side outside the CapEx space, so where you sort of expense it directly because it's not an investment in producing a product, but it's part of the product, um, you have Dell, Lenovo as one of the big uh, buyers and roughly around 20% of revenue on a PC or a laptop goes into the GPU. If you look at Dell and you look at L- Lenovo sales, they're still down. C- customers are not buying a lot of those. So if there is a big pickup in NVIDIA to the tune of what we see here on the chart to the left that I've showed on the slide deck, which is a pretty aggressive ramp up, it has to come from the CapEx side. If you look at all the US uh, companies, including Baidu, that's the chart to the right, you can see that there's no meaningful pickup a jump in capex for the quarter that overlaps by two months with the 
you know the quarter and the release that Nvidia will do tonight. So that's why I'm asking who's buying all these GPUs. Obviously, you could see Microsoft had a big jump in capex, so they are obviously doing that to support the the growth of OpenAI. But we also know user numbers are declining for OpenAI. OpenAI is really losing a lot of money here. It's interesting to see Google with their uh, bot offering. They didn't have any uh, jump in capex in their quarter. So is that does that mean that they already have all the infrastructure they need to run an AI business? So they will not be an additional marginal bias of GPUs. I don't know, but it, it's just I I can't square these numbers. And also, if you look at in, uh, Nvidia's um, revenue figures, they're expected to get very close to around 20 billion on a quarterly basis uh, two years from now. That's 80 billion. If you look at the capex levels of the U.S. technology companies and the what I've seen from the Chinese companies, it just doesn't square. And the, and the last time, sorry, John, I'm going on a spiel here, but it, it, I think it's so important because it's if if they if it turns out that Nvidia's outlook was too optimistic, it will really cause cracks in this whole AI cluster of stocks, and I think it will really be a shock to the overall technology uh, sector because there's so much hype being better on this, and I think probably one of the worst companies, and I, I was very negative on them on this podcast, a couple of, I was it before the, uh, the summer holiday break, was it McKinsey, right? Came cu- Coming out with this very, very, very bullish reports on productivity mm. and economic gains, and as I said to you, John, where, where, where are they, where are they pulling that, out these numbers from? Could it be they want to sell some consulting services so that uh, companies are scrambling to get the right information on what to do about their AI strategy? Maybe. <laughs> I like Maybe something to do uh, with that. Um, it's a great question. Huge. I, I would suggest asymmetric risks, unless there's some hidden buyer we don't know about uh, for for GPUs, sovereign or otherwise. That's a, it's a very fascinating question. But uh, let's we need to wrap this up here. We've also sure. got uh, Snowflake out as your other highlighted company on earnings watch today. What are you looking for there? Yeah, and it's because no, Snowflake is also part of this AI cluster. I, I wrote an equity note a couple of weeks ago where I uh, previewed the remaining six earnings releases in in that. Um, basket of 20 AI-related stocks. And Snowflake is one of them. NVIDIA is the other one. So that's two in the in the bucket there. Um, and Snowflake is expected, as you can see on um, on slide eight, in that little insert that the um, the annual growth rate for the quarterly revenue is coming down pretty hard. It's expected to be 33%. That's still an amazing business in this type of environment. But it is an, a growth rate that is down from, from 82% a year ago. So it, the, that business is slowing down. But that's not really the concern for investors. They really want to see Snowflake begin be um, you know being more serious about producing a profit, and they are actually expected to deliver the first accounting profit in this quarter, uh, ten cents per share, which is minuscule relative to the share price of Snowflake. All right, and then on the macro calendar, as indicated earlier, the preliminary August flash uh, manufacturing and services PMIs from Eurozone, UK. U.S., etc. We have the new home sales. I think that's an interesting one. We've seen quite a ramp in new home sales in the U.S., uh, ironically a link to the fact that people with existing mortgages, very happy with their very low rates they took out during the pandemic or rolled into during the pandemic, not wanting to move. Therefore, if you do need a new home, you go for, or if you do need to move, you go for a new home. So is this coming off? The uh, Home Builders ETF, I noted recently, has come off quite heavily. So uh, watch for that one. We have a 20-year bond uh, auction today from the U.S. Treasury, as we discussed yesterday, important for U.S. yields as we have recently poked to new highs for the cycle. So a key for for yields heading into Jackson Hole, which is the highlight of the week and we've been talking about all week and will continue to do so both up to that event and, of course, in its wake. Stay careful out there and we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter 
at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>